0: I can't recall the last time it ain't no team got so little respect.
1: Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket and wrecks quarterbacks. Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco.
0: Happy Friday, 49er Faithful. Thanks for tuning in to the inaugural episode of The Faithful Fanatic Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Newman, and I'm joined with my boy, Marco Martinez. We are the co-founders of The Faithful Fanatic Pod. Today marks the first Friday of the year. Which leads into the regular season. Football is back, baby. We'd also like to acknowledge that today is a very heavy day for many of us, as of course it is 9 11. Today marks the 19th year in which there were tragic attacks on US soil. We'd like to send our thoughts and prayers out to everyone whose lives were forever changed by the horrific 9 11 tragedy. Before we get started with our utterly exciting pod, Marco. And I would like to introduce ourselves. Marco, why don't you go ahead and go first?
1: What's up, Niner Faithful? I'm Marco, your co-host. Um, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. I was born at Niner Faithful. My dad and family and everyone, they're all diehards. Um, that's how I was born into this greatest franchise that ever will be and ever has been. Um, I'm from Modesto, California. I currently go to CSU stand. Um, I currently work as a juvenile in the juvenile commitment facility. Um, With my degree, I eventually plan on becoming a teacher or a juvenile probation officer. And this season, we're going to get number six. One for the thumb, baby.
0: Thank you for sharing, Marco. So for me personally, the best way for me to describe my 49er fandom is described perfectly in the Faithful to the Bay hype video, which was the video the 49ers marketing team just released, which was voiced over by Keena Turner. And the faithful to the Bay slogan at first, I thought it was a subtle jab to the Raiders. Nope, I was wrong. That is as blatant and deliberate as it gets. The faithful to the Bay, the 49ers are taking over, not just our side of the Bay, but the Oakland side as well. Going back to football, my grandpa had season tickets from the team's inaugural season at Keysar in 1946, all the way to the candlestick era. And Keena Turner, one of the quotes that he had within the faithful to the bay hype video is that he said 49er fandom is passed down from one generation to the next that's my personal experience and i'm sure it's an experience i share with many other 49er fans so like i said my grandfather was at a season ticket holder for the team's inaugural season in 1946 he was actually honored at candlestick and was the faithful fan of the game way back when one of my mentors, Mike Schumann, actually interviewed him and did a segment on my grandpa's loyalty to the organization back when Schu was the sports anchor for ABC7. And shortly after, a few months after the 49ers lost to the Ravens in the Super Bowl in 2013, my grandpa passed away. My dad, on the other hand, he also had season tickets. He got his in 1981, right in time when the 49ers established their dominance in the 1980s. He had his seats in Section 36, the same end zone that Dwight Clark made the catch-in. And ever since I was about four or five years old, 1999, 2000, ever since those years, my dad took me to every single game at Candlestick. I'm extremely fortunate to have been able to have those experiences, have those memories, because really some of the best memories of my life came from Candlestick Park. I also have a handful of uncles who had season tickets, so home games for me growing up were as much as like a family get-together as they were game day. That's when the fourth, yep, board... Yeah, exactly. So like I said, a very similar experience, I'm sure, to some of our listeners. And when the team transitioned to Levi Stadium, the majority of my family didn't go down to Santa Clara. One of my uncles, my Uncle Dave, he kept his season tickets going. So we've been going to every single home opener together for the last six years. Of course, we don't have that opportunity this year because of COVID. Um, football aside, a little bit about myself. Born and raised on the Northern Peninsula. I was born in San Mateo, raised in Brisbane. Brisbane's a small city just south of the San Francisco border, about five minutes from Candlestick Park. If you're driving on the 101 freeway, it's the small city up there on the hill. You can't really miss it. I went to high school in Pacifica at Terra Nova. I didn't play football. I just never had the drive personally to get bigger and stronger. I've always been super tall, super skinny. So I played basketball throughout high school. And right now at Terranova, I'm the JV head coach I also for basketball. I also assist on the varsity team. Once I graduated from Terranova, I took my academic talents to the College of San Mateo. Then I transferred to San Francisco State. Work-wise, I'm a youth worker. I've worked for the YMCA of San Francisco for the last six years serving their after school departments. I run an after school program, an uh, after school site at the San Francisco Unified School District school site. And then this past March, I was actually furloughed from my job. And right around that same time, I was offered the opportunity to write at Sports Illustrated. I've been writing content for Sports Illustrated for about the last six, seven months now, which is how I got to know Marco. And now here we are, starting our own podcast. Everything works out
1: in unique ways. Man, that, Let's his- t- <laughs> that, history, that history of your family is just rich, man. Like the, the rich... 49er franchise that you guys have had man it's just legendary i remember when when i was growing up we'd go to candlestick park all the time and my favorite part because the fact that you said like candlestick brought back so many memories man is going up the long escalator man and all you could hear was niners like the whole way up man it just brings back so many memories
0: absolutely and that's something that resonates with me as well those long escalator rides up you know Levi's is a little faster getting up and down the escalators but Candlestick it just seems so time consuming and just the way that the stadium was kind of built you could really hear that echo going and I'll give Levi's credit they certainly the stadium's gotten a lot louder as the years have progressed but you definitely gotta miss Candlestick just a historic landmark in San Francisco that's no longer with us. But anyway, that's enough about myself. Let's talk some 2020 NFL regular season football. Football is back. The regular season kicked off last night with the Texans going to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. What are your initial thoughts on that game, Marco?
1: Hell, hell the hell did we allow the Kansas City Chiefs to pick up Clyde Hilaire, man. That just ridiculous. Ridiculous. We just, an elite offense just got even more elite by picking that running back up. Last night, he tore it up. He literally put on a show as a rookie running back. Um, I believe the stat was the first rookie running back to um, rush for over 100 yards uh, for a Super Bowl champion. That's kind of crazy.
0: I agree. I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on my fantasy team. He got off to an extremely hot start. But as a fantasy owner, what was so frustrating for me – is that he was just getting stuffed time and time again in short short yardage, excuse me, short yardage situations near the goal line, the goal line on third and short. He was just getting stuffed time and time again. So he ended up putting up ni- around 19 points in most standard leagues. But the opportunity was there to really get two more touchdowns on the board, drive that number up to 30 points. So from a fantasy perspective, you feel good about the 20 points Edward Hilaire provided, but it could have been a lot more. Fantasy football aside, though, football's back. The Chiefs looked as good as they did last year, moving the ball up and down on the Texans all over. Deshaun Watson, his first game without DeAndre Hopkins. How do you think Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien looked?
1: Um, I think they looked really lost. That offense really misses DeAndre Hopkins. I was... Um, Deshaun Watson security blanket and it it showed last night I mean a lot of the times Deshaun Watson had no time actually to get rid of the ball I mean they the Kansas City Chiefs defense played really good I mean they sacked him four times but that offensive line is just terrible I feel bad for Deshaun Watson and he needs to be saved from that franchise and from Bill O'Brien I agree Bill
0: O'Brien what bothered me the most about last night's game was just the lack of urgency so for example, this goes to show also how important special teams is. I believe the score was seven to 14 to close out the first half. Kai Fairbairn misses the field goal with about 20 seconds on the clock. Let's say if that field goal goes in, more than likely you enter the half down 10 to 14. Very manageable. Instead, he misses the field goal. The Chiefs go right back down the field, get in field goal range for Harrison Buker, who comes through now you're down 10 opposed to four at halftime and then the chiefs score on their first drive of the second half clyde edward edwards hilaire had that nice long touchdown run and what does bill o'brien do when the texans are down 17 points he calls eight <laughs> plays on offense five of them are runs you are down 17 bill o'brien what in the world are you doing the clock management and the lack of urgency the Texans displayed was just unbelievable to me because if you look at the AFC South, they can't afford to lose many games and they were not even really competitive tonight. You have the Colts now led by Phillip Rivers. You have the Titans who just made the AFC Championship game last year. I don't know, just I'm at a loss with Bill O'Brien. He's definitely on the hot seat. You agree with that, of course, correct?
1: Oh yeah, I definitely agree. It kind of looked like he was trying to make the trade of DeAndre Hopkins look better by having his number one running back, David Johnson, get more carries, get more yards, and have his production look a little bit better than what it was. Um, I definitely feel bad for Deshaun Watson, though. I mean, you have an elite quarterback and you're going to run the ball eight times in a row. It's just ridiculous. Like, come on now. Um, with that And means, go ahead. With that being said, that, that offense looked really stagnant. They have a new offensive coordinator there who was a former defensive lineman, I believe. So I think they are going to take a little bit of time to get going.
0: Absolutely. Going back to the Chiefs, for the most part, Tyreek Hill had a very quiet game. I believe he scored the Chiefs' third touchdown maybe when they had the ball goal to go in the third quarter. Maybe it was the fourth quarter, but he was relatively quiet outside of that. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the name to follow, throughout the year in Kansas City as he looks like a legit offensive rookie of the year candidate. Also though, going back to Watson, I was a little taken back by his lack of urgency as well. I know it's easy to blame Bill O'Brien because he's made a lot of questionable decisions both as the de facto GM and as head coach. But to close out the third quarter, the Texans were down 17. When that quarter transitions to the fourth, it's basically a timeout that works in your favor Deshaun Watson spent a lot of time looking at the play clock and did not even see that the game clock was about to hit zero. It didn't get the snap off. And just the lack of urgency between both O'Brien and Watson was puzzling to me. So the Texans lose the first game of the year by 14. Final score 34 to 20. I had the over a 54 and a half. I got the half point hook. Fantasy, gambling aside, what were some key stats of last night's game?
1: So last night, Patrick Mahomes went for 211, three touchdowns, one to the second best tight end of the NFL, Travis Kelsey. You just had to throw that in there. He's the second best. Tight second end the best. Second best, you know what I mean? Um, Ed- Edward Soler, he rushed for 140 and a touchdown. The Chiefs defense dominated Texans' offense with four sacks, an interception, and a blowout over... The Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson had only 253 yards with one touchdown, a rushing inter- a rushing touchdown. He also had a costly interception, and they just didn't look in sync. With Not that all being at all, With that all being said, the last night's game, Thursday night game, wrapped up. We have a full slate of Sunday NFL games to focus on. Most importantly, let's talk about the NFC West, starting with our 49ers and Cardinals matchup.
0: So, looking at the 49ers, the team released the unofficial depth chart earlier this week. Do you have anything in particular that surprised you?
1: Um, yeah, I actually do. It kind of surprised me that they had the or in right there for the right guard battle between Brunskill and Compton. And they also had the or right there for the opposite cornerback, uh, starting cornerback position opposite of Uncle Sherm. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Is there really an or? I don't think Compton should be playing at all. Like, not even in an emergency. I mean, I would rather have Justin School or McKivitts playing over Compton. He did not look good in training camp. You cannot have someone in there when your season is Super Bowl or pretty much bust. I mean, you have, this is the time to go out and win the Super Bowl this year. And also having Mosley I- or Spoon, that's a little iffy. So
0: I've heard a lot throughout training camp that Compton was horrific and that if McKivitz was not a rookie, he'd be handed the job already, that he'd be announced as a starter. So of course, Brunskill, the plan for him was to compete for that right guard job. Then you have Ben Garland get hurt and his status is still up in the air for Sunday. It's looking a little better that he will play. So we'll see what happens at right guard. I thought Brunskill played well and is pretty versatile. I'd prefer him there. I also wouldn't mind seeing McKivitz, but please do not start Tom Compton. We'll see what the team decides to do. As for Sherman and Witherspoon, I think we both can agree that based on the 2019 tape, what we've seen on the field is that Mosley is the better player. And I have a conspiracy behind... Akello Witherspoon as to why the team is doing everything in their power to make him a starter. And it's that Richard Sherman's a free agent next year. And if you look at the 49ers, other free agents, they have Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, Kwan Williams, Jaquaski Tart, Kendrick Bourne. The list goes on and on and on regarding the 49ers free agents next year. And I think we might be looking at Richard Sherman's last year. As a San Francisco 49er, John Lynch said that the team was anticipating the cap to be in the 215 to $200 million range. And now with the loss of revenue, that cap number might drop down to as low as $175 million. So, Akilah Witherspoon, they drafted him three, four years ago in the third round. He's long, he's lanky, he's quick, he's athletic. He has the physical what you're looking for physically from a number one corner in the seattle scheme defense and i think they're really 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 trying to build up his confidence so he can potentially be the team's number one corner down the road which is why they're leaving the competition open because mosley's clearly the better player he came in and saved witherspoons witherspoons but a couple times last year week 17 against seattle in the divisional round against the vikings so that's why i think they have that or there between mosley and witherspoon because they're trying to give him the confidence and make him feel like he's worthy of that spot something that was surprising to me i don't know if you've seen this or not marco was or not necessarily surprising but definitely caught my attention is that brandon Ayuk is listed as the fifth wide receiver on the depth chart and javon kinlaw is listed as the backup to solomon thomas and dj jones good old solly what do you make of that marco
1: um, what I make up of that is you don't really want to rush your first-round pick in, um into the fire right away. Um, Javon Kinlaw, he should be in on first and second down. Um, if you put him in to start right away, he's going to put that mindset mentality that I must be as good as DeForest Buckton who I'm pretty much replacing. So you're putting a lot of pressure on a young Ricky's back. Rather than if he's coming in after Solomon Thomas or after whoever they have playing, he could kind of, okay, ease his way into the season and then start developing that confidence during regular season. Um, same thing with Brandon Ayuk. I mean, I do think Brandon Ayuk will be starting. I don't think the official, the unofficial depth chart has anything to do with that. I mean, he was Jimmy G's security blanket during training camp. So that one is a little more confusing to me. I thought he would be at least be the one, two, or three receiver on the team. But like I said, he also... For Brandon Ayuk, he just got in. He was coming off an injury. So you kind of just push him to the back of the depth chart for now and kind of ease his way in.
0: I agree. I think it's more so a rite of passage where they don't want – they really want to make Ayuk and Kinlaw earn it. It would be – without seeing any sort of preseason tape or any live game action, it's tough and disrespectful, in my opinion, to the veterans that have been working hard for the last couple years looking at guys – like Dante Pettis, who I'm sure we'd agree Ayuk is better than right now. But it's just a political thing where the veterans should be ahead on the depth chart. Although on Sundays, as far as snap count goes, it'll show that Brandon Ayuk is playing more than Dante Pettis, potentially even Trent Taylor. So I just think it's more so a statistical thing and political thing more so than Kinlaw and IUK are really behind these guys. Another surprise, or not necessarily surprise as far as the depth chart goes, but I was taken back last week that Richie James Jr. is cleared and he's on the 53-man roster because once the team selected IUK, I thought there was no way Richie James Jr. would make the 53-man. Yet here we are. He's on the roster. He's listed as the team's number one kick and punt returner. What do you think about Richie James Jr. resuming his kick and punt return abilities?
1: Um, I think he's earned it. Um, he's an explosive player in the kick return game. I mean, he has a touchdown return back. Um, in the punt, re- punt return game, he's. I would like to see him be a little more aggressive. I mean, I do know mm-hmm. he has about eight yards per return on punts. I mean, that's solid, but there's a lot of times where he just lets it bounce. It's just like, come on, man. You're too explosive to not get the ball in your hands. You don't get it on offense take advantage of the opportunity on special teams. And I think that's what Kyle Shanahan kind of wants him to do, is use his athleticism and his um, explosiveness in the return game to try to show him, hey, this is what you're missing out on offense.
0: I absolutely agree with that. One thing that struck me, though, is going back to the Super Bowl, is that Richie James had the yips. There's no other way to put it. He was back to field that punt and muffed it. Luckily, the 49ers recovered, but it could have hurt them a lot more than it did, and I was under the assumption that maybe he was under Kyle Shanahan's or in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse from that moment forward, but it's a moot point now. He's the returner for the 49ers. Expect him to return kicks and punts week one. I'd like to see Brandon Ayuk back there. He was extremely explosive at Arizona State, both as a kick and punt returner. So, Those were some prizes and things that caught my eye in regards to the unofficial depth chart that was released on the team's website. The team also announced captains, excuse me, they announced captains this past week. So in 2000, your 2020 team captains, you have Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, Eric Armstead, Richard Sherman, and Fred Warner. Whereas in 2019, there was Garoppolo, Kittle, Staley, Buckner, and Sherman. Any thoughts in regards to team captains? Any surprises? Things that
1: stand out for you? The one that stood out for me was uh, Mike McGlinchy. I like that. I like that he's earned the, the respect of the locker room. And he's taken that role that Joe Staley left. I mean, him and Joe Staley were best buds. When you see them together, they're always laughing, hugging, messing around yep. together. So that's a cool thing to see that Mike McGlinchy learned a lot from Joe Staley in his two years with him. And he's using that and... Becoming a leader to that offensive line, I also like seeing um, Trent Williams be a captain. Um, that shows that he's earned the locker room's respect. But I think it has a little bit more to do than earning the locker room respect. I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch wanted him to be a team captain because when it comes down to re-signing him, he's gonna like it more that he was a captain. He was this. No, and he'll that. feel
0: he'll feel valued.
1: Exactly, he'll feel that value. Um, I would love to eventually see Nick Bosa be a captain. I mean, but you have Mm -hmm. to earn it. You can't just be handed out captain awards. So that's, I do like how they didn't just hand it over to Nick Bosa after DeForest Buckner left.
0: I totally agree. I agree with you as far as McGlinchey. I'm very happy for Mike McGlinchey to be able to step right in and be team captain after his best bud, Joe Staley, retired. That's awesome to see. And it just kind of goes to show the camaraderie around the locker room that the the legacy of Joe Staley must live on through his bestie, Mike McGlinchey. And if, going back to Nick Bosa, because that's something I saw following along on Twitter, what people were saying is why not, why why is Nick Bosa not, excuse me, a team captain? Like you said, he's gotta earn it, absolutely. If you look at McGlinchey, you look at Warner, they're both entering their third year in the league. Neither of them were team captains within their first two years. I believe Kittle may have been a team captain no, actually I take that back. I don't know if he was a captain in 2018. So it's not too typical for players within their first two seasons to be named a captain, at least not with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. So I'm not necessarily surprised that Nick Bosa is not a team captain myself. Let's preview this game. Going back to 2019, the Cardinals and the 49ers played each other twice, of course, as divisional opponents. Go, reflecting on those games, what stood out to you last year?
1: Last year was set out to me was our run game was not to be found at home, but on the road we rushed for over a hundred yards, which is kind of interesting because usually when you're on at home, you tend to rush better than when you're on the road. Um, I also liked how Jimmy G was able to throw his team on his back and said, "All right, guys, we're struggling. We're down sixteen to zero in the second quarter at home. Let me go ahead and throw for four hundred yards and four touchdowns so I could show you guys." that I'm the real deal, and this is my team. Um, he did that last year, which is kind of interesting because the Cardinals were not that good of a team, but they played us as if they were a much better team. Um, They played us real tough, which is it's interesting, but you also got to realize it's it's a divisional opponent. So every time you face a divisional opponent, whether they're 0-16, um, they're going to play you tougher than they do other teams because of that quote-unquote rivalry that we supposedly have through division. Um, I did I did see the 49ers struggle at, um, at home, not so much on the road, which is a little weird. What do you think about totally. that? The four-
0: I agree. The Cardinals play the 49ers extremely tough, both of their matchups. Granted, George Kittle was out the majority of both two games. He didn't play at all. At the home game, but Ross Dwelly, Dwelly time stepped up and scored two touchdowns, I believe, in that home game against the Cardinals. Looking at the Cardinals, what's been holding them back is their defense. I do believe they have a solid offense led by Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury. They have the new weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. But if you look at their defensive numbers, they were horrific last year. And just kind of going back to the offensive side of things, what they offer on offense, they were the only team that played the 49ers twice and were able to score more than 50 points. The Packers couldn't do it. The Seahawks couldn't do it. The Rams couldn't do it. And what the 49ers had a hard time with last year was controlling teams with mobile quarterbacks. That was their greatest challenge. Every game they lost, with the exception of the Falcons and Matt Ryan, they lost to teams with mobile quarterbacks. Looking at Russell Wilson, looking at Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. Can Kyler Murray add to that trend going into 2020? That's a question that I have. But last year, they did a pretty good job neutralizing him. Kenyon Drake had a couple big performances against the 49ers. Got to watch out for him. That read option that Colin Kaepernick made famous a couple years back is within the Cardinals' arsenal. The 49ers had a tough time stopping that last year. And going back to the defensive side of the ball, the Cardinals are trying their best to get better. So they had a couple impactful free agent signings. They signed Devondre Campbell, the previous linebacker of the Atlanta Falcons. They signed Devon, Devon Kennard, Kennard excuse me, with, who was with the Lions, had seven sacks each of the last two years. And, of course, they drafted Isaiah Simmons in the first round. They spent four of their six draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. And of course, the big transaction everybody's talking about, especially now that the Texans played last night, is the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins. In your opinion, is DeAndre Hopkins and the hype surrounding the Cardinals, are they a playoff team in 2020?
1: I'm not buying the hype. I mean, my favorite signing for them was defensive tackle Phillips. Um... Jordan was Phillips. A, yeah, that was a big signing yeah. for them. Um, nose tackle. has Had a really good season last year. But I'm not buying the hype one bit. Um, I personally see this, this Arizona Cardinals team as the Cleveland Browns of last year who had Freddie Kitchen as their head coach. I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury. Um, straight up, I mean, how am I going to buy into someone's offense or team philosophy when the dude hasn't had a winning season since 2015. I mean, he had Patrick Mahomes, who we just saw last night. He's the greatest quarterback in the league right now, at the moment. So to round it out, I just think they missed the playoffs this year. I think they cracked the playoffs next year with the development of Kyler Murray, their defense getting better. But I think they have a different coach next year that leads them to the playoffs.
0: So, you think this is Kingsbury's final year?
1: I, I think so. I mean, you can't, when, when you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray on a rookie deal, you cannot waste that because you're able to build a, a really solid team around him. Like they were able to bring in DeAndre Hopkins and sign him to a big contract extension because Kyler Murray's on a small contract, tech quote unquote, small contract compared to the Patrick Mahomes, the Sean Watsons, and resetting the market every year it goes higher. So you have to build that team right now in order to take advantage of the Super Bowl window of a rookie quarterback contract.
0: I agree with that, but let's say what happens if the Cardinals show improvement? They finish 7-9 and nine and the offense puts up 25 points per game and they finish in the top 10 of most statistical categories. Do you still feel like without losing record, it pushes Kingsbury out?
1: I mean, if you see them go, like you said, seven and nine, I think they, they keep Cliff um, for one more year. But me personally, I would bring someone else in. I would go try to poach one of Kyle Shanahan's coaches. I mean, I would go look if I was him and you really wanted to, to be the dominant offense. Every team's trying to go for their own Kyle Shanahan. And they went with Cliff Kingsbury and he's the Walmart version of Kyle Shanahan. I mean, if you <laughs> if you squint your eyes hard enough, you see Kyle Shanahan. If you're drunk, to be honest with you, yeah. <laughs> So I just don't buy the Cliff Kingsbury hype.
0: I I like it. I like it. And wasn't it during the NFL draft they had Kingsbury flexing with his big old mansion in Arizona? Wasn't do you remember that when they were showing all the head coaches in their draft areas because they don't have their normal war rooms? I think they showed. Shanahan in his little office, McVay had his thing going on. Then you see Cliff. I believe it was Cliff. I could be wrong, but I'm about 95% sure. He was all sprawled out in Arizona with his big pool and water fountain in the back. So we'll see what happens with Cliff. He's living his best life, that's for sure. And he's got his guy in Kyler Murray. I agree with you. I think the Cardinals are a ways away from the playoffs. I'm not buying all the hype this year, though. I do think they'll be vastly improved not enough though defensively to make the playoffs i believe they're a year away they don't have outside of chandler jones they don't have the weapons on defense the game changers on defense we'll see what isaiah simmons does peterson's a little bit over the hill looking at that defense it's it is going to be what holds them back so i say no go for the cardinals as a playoff team in 2020.
1: matchup wise Go you go were, ahead. You, you you were right about um, Cliff Kingsbury um, with the big mansion, and everything. It was Cliff yeah. actually. He had his <laughs> no, feet yeah. sprawled out like he already had won everything. Like oh, I've made it in yeah. life. And then you look at Kyle Shanahan, who looked like he hadn't shaved in four years, in a small room, <laughs> like he was actually grinding. Like what actually what a head coach was supposed to look like. Like for example, yep. Bill Belichick was at his little di- dinner table with his dog. Casually drafting, but instead, Cliff Kingsbury was dressed extremely nice in his big mansion, like he's already yep. doing something. And that's yeah, he's got of a lot, Cliff.
0: He's got a lot, a lot to prove in this league. And hopefully, he's able to prove it soon because, like you said, he might find his way out the door sooner rather than later if he can start turning around this Cardinals team. Matchup wise, what are you looking forward to
1: most? I'm most looking forward to uh, Kittle versus Isaiah Simmons, or if they have Buddha Baker there. Um, Isaiah Simmons came out and said, I'm built to stop George Kittle. Like, calm down, son. You'll be lucky yeah. if George Kittle lets you hold a jock strap. Calm down. All right. <laughs> let's be honest. No one's able to stop George Kittle, and his safety, Buddha Baker, should be telling him, hey, do not get under George Kittle's skin. Because what you're going to do is you're going to get stiffed armed and you're going to get dragged into the end zone like I did last year. I cannot stop him. I, I would recommend you to not talk smack because Kittle is the real deal.
0: That's a great matchup to keep your eye on. For me, not necessarily matchup-wise, but in general what I'm looking forward to most, and it's not in relation to the 49ers, but I'm interested to see the product the Cardinals put on the field. Are the Cardinals going to even remotely live up to the hype that they produced and generated over the course of the offseason. What is DeAndre Hopkins going to look like in the Cardinals uniform? How are they going to utilize him in week one? Is Kyler Murray going to take Lamar Jackson type strides year two? I believe we'll be able to kind of see that relatively quick. So I'm interested to see what Cardinals team we're going to see on Sunday. You also, when we were talking last night, or a couple nights ago, you brought up a little tidbit from this game. is the Jimmy Ward and DeAndre Hopkins round two. A couple years ago, the 49ers and Texans had a joint training camp session, and Hopkins and Ward, they exchanged blows.
1: Remember that? Yeah, it's going to be a fun match. I, like Whether if Jimmy Ward gets matched up on DeAndre Hopkins, man-to-man, or if he goes over the top and... Jimmy Ward is there to break up a pass. That's going to be good because I hope Jimmy Ward starts to chirp and gets under Hopkins' skin. Um, That's the matchup I'm also looking forward to seeing because you could see one of them bend or break and get ejected, or you could see them play with their pads and talk with their pads.
0: I agree. And if you remember a couple years back when the Hawk was the star safety for the 49ers, Deshaun Goldson, one of my – favorite secondary players of my lifetime, him and a Cardinals receiver, Early Doucette. They got into it a couple times, and I believe it might have been a Monday night game, or I know there was a big hit on a Monday night game, and I want to say they started throwing fists during just a regular Sunday game during the regular season. So maybe some of that will be brought back with this Jimmy Ward and DeAndre Hopkins rivalry we got going on and Hopkins is what about 6'2 6'3 Jimmy Ward's 5'10 511 and he was giving Hopkins the business during their little scuffle so that's gonna be a fun little side note to keep an eye on over the course of Sunday's game. Do you have any other matchups you're looking forward to?
1: Yeah I'm actually looking forward to seeing um our our offensive line versus their defensive line as well as our defensive line versus their offensive line. Um, last year, I have uh, a few clips I have on my on my Twitter account, and the 49ers' defensive line just, oh my God, they just completely destroyed their offensive line. And There's a few times where Kyler Murray got the ball and he's getting sacked as soon as he gets the ball. So I'm looking forward to seeing if their offensive line, who they tried to re-amp, got better. And I also want to see if our, offense, our offensive line could hold up against the new defensive tackle they picked up in Phillips, whether they line up over line him up over the right guard and try to have him go one-on-one with um, Brunskill or whoever we have starting at right guard. But I'm looking forward to seeing Trent Williams against Chandler Jones. That's going to be real exciting.
0: So this is something on the all 49ers sports illustrated chat that Grant Cohn facilitates. You can find it on Periscope on Twitter every Thursday at 3 or 4 p.m. Something we were talking about earlier that I was talking about is a lot of people are hyped to see this Trent Williams-Chandler Jones matchup. And if I'm the Cardinals, I'm sure they're going to utilize Chandler Jones like a chess piece all over the defensive line. Why not just line him up against Mike McGlinchey? Because McGlinchey struggled his first two years as a pass blocker. And if you want to talk about wrecking havoc, line him up across McGlinchey and see if he's up for the task but then, on the other hand, you have Williams who hasn't played football since 2018. So maybe you test him early on. So I'm I'm interested to see how the Cardinals utilize Chandler Jones and where they're going to line him up and how the tackles hold up against him.
1: I, what I, concerns I you?
0: Or go go ahead, Marco. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. I would line him up on on Mike McGlinchey, um, just to see what Mike McGlinchey could if he could hold up. But then if you do that, I'm just going to run the ball to the left side. Like I'm just gonna, if I'm Jimmy G and I see him lined up on the right side, okay, check with me. That means their left side of their defense is weak. So it's one of those teams Agreed. you gotta pick your poison kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. What concerns you most looking into this Week One matchup?
1: Concerns me most looking forward to this matchup coming up. To be honest, I'm not really concerned at all. The only thing I would probably say is our receivers' health. Like, how healthy are are, our receivers? Because Debo, I don't think he's going to play. I mean, he he didn't practice yesterday. If he practices today, then he has a shot. But I would personally sit him out with that Jones fracture he's coming off of. Brandon Ayuk should play. So you have Kendrick Bourne, Dante Pettis, Brandon Ayuk healthy, Richie James, Trent Taylor. I don't – that's what worries me is our receivers. If we have to get into a shootout, can Jimmy G do it without Debo Samuels and Brandon Ayuk at full, full force?
0: I agree. I think the biggest concern going into this game is the health. You look at Ben Garland, if he's not able to play, there was trouble with Dan Brunskill at center. The interior of the offensive line is something that concerns me. I'm with you. I don't believe the team should rush back Debo Samuel. If he's he's not in football shape right now, how could he be? As much as he's been working out on the opposite field, on the side field, he has not been an active participant in training camp. I just don't think he's going to be ready to go for week one. And if he is, you have to assume he'd be on an extremely limited snap count. And Nick Bosa, D Ford, it sounds like they've been practicing throughout the week. They were the other two guys that missed the last week or two of training camp. They both seem like they're going to be ready to go. But the biggest concern regarding the 49ers is health. I'd also touch on the fact that there's no preseason games, but that's something that the Cardinals are also going to have to deal with as well. So specifically looking at concerns with the 49ers, I got to say it's health, and you nailed that right on the head. The big question, is this upcoming game an absolute must-win game?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you hate to say that the week one is a a must-win game because it's the first week of the season. I mean, you have 15 other games to, to make the playoffs. But if you allow the Cardinals to beat you, that means the Cardinals have either gotten much better and closed the gap with the 49ers, and it makes the NFC West even that much harder or it means the 49ers got worse, and that means they will not be that top dog they once were. So I do think this is a must-win game for them to come out and just completely dominate the game. I mean, everyone keeps hyping up the Cardinals. You know, just shut everyone up and punch the Cardinals in the mouth from the get-go and don't let them be in this game at all.
0: I agree. I don't necessarily think it needs to be a... Face-pounding, they don't need to obliterate the Cardinals week one. I'll take a win because on the other side of that, if you don't win the game, the immediate conversation and discussion of are they suffering a Super Bowl hangover is going to come up and come into play, and it's going to be a valid conversation to have. So this is absolutely a must-win. I don't care how they win it as long as they win it because if you look at weeks two and week three, you have the Jets and you have the Giants so you like your chances in those games. But the reason why this week one game is so important is it's a divisional matchup. You better your chances of winning the division with a win and significantly worsen them if you lose. And of course, with the new playoff seating, every single regular season game means more now than ever. If you cannot take care of business week one, and you lose, it hurts your chances of earning that top spot, the number one seed in the NFC, which makes the road to the Super Bowl that much more challenging. And this is a team with Super Bowl expectations. Kyle Shanahan has already said we expect to get right back to the Super Bowl. That's the goal. So every regular season loss hurts the 49ers' chances of accomplishing that. So this is absolutely a must-win game. Don't care how they do it. They just need to walk away Sunday with a W. So, in order to get that win, what are some keys to the game? What do they need to do?
1: Um, rush the ball early and often effectively. Get Raheem Mostert the ball early and often. Um, get the run game going quick. You keep the offense from the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray off the field and just get in and out. Get a win and get out. That's how I see this game because when you play with division against division rivals who well, if you, they start to stick around throughout the third, fourth quarter, that's when they that's when they come out and beat you by a mistake late in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter that they capitalize on. So I think they should get the ball to Raheem Oster early and often behind Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, and George Kittle on the left side and let them just go, go for 150 yards.
0: Absolutely. For me... I want to see the defense force Kyler Murray into some turnovers. Last year, throughout the entire season, Murray only had 14 turnovers. He had 12 interceptions to two fumbles lost, I believe, and none of those turnovers came against the 49ers. Murray did what he had to do to keep the Cardinals in the game. He didn't do enough to take them over the top and win the game, but he did enough to keep them competitive. And... Like you're talking about with this blowout win, just putting the Cardinals away early, get it over with. If they can do that, great. And if they do do that, it's going to be because they generated some turnovers, which is not what they did last year, which is why the two games that they played were so close. So for me, a key I have is getting Kyler Murray's head early, hit him, force him into some turnovers, make him make a few bad decisions, get him rattled. He's a young, inexperienced quarterback. So the more turnovers they generate the better position they'll be in to close out the game get up early and walk away from week one one and 0 absolutely looking yep looking at the lines for Sunday the 49ers are currently seven point favorites do you like their chances covering that seven points
1: oh yeah I, I think I think they went by um, I think they went by 10
0: by 10 that's yeah. a big one double digit anytime you can beat a divisional team, a divisional opponent by double digits, you're certainly doing the work that needs to be done. This line opened up close to double digits, and way back when, when the lines first came out, I was like, that's way too many points to be giving up in a divisional game, but now that it's at seven, I do think the 49ers will cover that. I would not be surprised if it's right around seven. It might be a push, but I do think the Cardinals might score a late touchdown to get it back close to seven around there. It's going to be a close game, I think. And then the over-under is 48. How are you feeling about that? Are we going over-under? or
1: under? I'm going under 48. I think it's going to be a, a lower-scoring game. 48 is pretty high.
0: Totally. So last year, like I talked about earlier, the Cardinals were one, the only team that played the 49ers twice that were able to score more than 50 points. They averaged about 25.5 points. Each time they played the 49ers, I think we're going to see some bad tackling, some sloppy tackling. One thing that surprised me in last night's game with the Chiefs and Texans is that it was relatively clean. There weren't too many penalties. There was not too many stoppages. So if you get a clean game like that from the Cardinals and the 49ers, I like the over. Just based on the Cardinals defense is not good. The 49ers offense is good. They finished... Very high in most statistical categories last year. And the Cardinals, with their more mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray, they can put up points. So I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to take the 49ers to cover the seven-point spread, but very closely. Outside of the 49ers-Cardinal matchup, there's a couple other key NFC West games, matchups, if you will, in Week 1. The Seahawks are going down to Atlanta to play the Falcons and the Cowboys are going to L.A. to play the Rams. What are your initial thoughts on the Seahawks and
1: Falcons game? The Seahawks and Falcons game, um, Like same thing with the Cardinals. The Seattle Seahawks are being hyped because they picked up Jamal Adams. They also have an, an elite quarterback in Russell Wilson. But when you're going across the country into a different time zone, it's a lot harder than it is to play in your local time zone. So I think they're going to come out with a loss. The Falcons have, their offense is stacked. I mean, even if Todd Gurley isn't the Todd Gurley he once was, they have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. They have Matt Ryan. The last year their offense was really solid. Their defense picked up Dante Fowler. They picked up um, a corner, A.J. Terrell. They have Isaiah Oliver on the other end. That that team's pretty solid. I think they they beat the Seattle Seahawks.
0: I got to disagree with you. I believe the Seahawks are going to win in Atlanta going back to last year. They, matchup-wise, number-wise, they were fairly even. They both had solid offenses. Defense, on the other hand, not so much. Looking at the Seahawks, they had a great ground game, finished in the middle of the pack as far as their pass attack goes. The Falcons, on the other hand, had an explosive passing game. Their rushing game was not good whatsoever. But going back to defense, it was very surprising to me that the Seahawks were able to have as successful of a year as they did considering the fact that they finished in the bottom quadrant, the bottom fourth of the NFL on most defense statistical categories. The difference between their success was the Seahawks had a plus 12 turnover differential to the Falcons minus five. So... Going back to their defense, whichever team improved the most defensively, in my opinion, is going to win that game, and I believe it is the Seahawks. Jamal Adams is a game changer. They added Quentin Dunbar and the Falcons. Both teams are going to put up points, but at the end of the day, I do believe the Seahawks got better defensively, more so than the Falcons, despite Dante Fowler being added to that Falcons team. So I got the Seahawks going. The next matchup, the Cowboys and Rams. How are we feeling
1: about that? I'm gonna go ahead and touch on on the previous game real quick one more time. I just the reason why I don't see Seattle coming out victorious is I don't think anyone is going to be able to sack Matt Ryan. That defensive line from Seattle is terrible.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I that. agree.
1: Go ahead. But for the Seattle for the uh, the Cowboys at Rams, I'm gonna sound like it's, I'm gonna make myself sound like a Homer because. I'm just having everyone in our division lose, which is kind of odd, which I don't think will happen. But I think Cowboys come out with the victory over the Rams. I mean, Dak Prescott's coming in into a, a contract year. You have Ezekiel Elliott. He has ex- every receiver you could possibly ask for as a quarterback. That defensive is solid. They just picked up Alden Smith. I hope he does well with the Cowboys. Um, and I don't think the Rams have what it takes to – to stop the Cowboys' offense, and the Cowboys' defense is better than what the Rams have on offense.
0: So, for me, looking at this game, it's two high-octane offenses who can very easily move the ball. It's a star-studded game. Looking at Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Jared Goff, Cooper, Cup, Robert Woods, Tyler higby the list goes on and on and on. Similar to the Seahawks and Falcons game, the team with a better defensive display is going to win the game, and that sounds fairly obvious, but if you look at these two offenses, they have no problem moving the ball up and down, and they both suffered some very serious offseason losses. If you look at the Seahawks, or I'm sorry, the Rams, and who they lost this offseason they lost dante fowler they lost corey littleton brandon cooks todd Gurley, greg Zerline, eric weddle clay matthews and the cowboys lost quite a few players as well and byron jones and travis frederick who retired robert quinn jason witten malik collins and randall cobb so there's a lot of turnover on these two rosters and what this game's going to boil down to in my opinion is what defense is most improved very similar to how I feel about the Seahawks and Falcons game last year, the Cowboys and Rams played each other. The Cowboys stir curb stomped them, excuse me, absolutely curb stomped them 44 to 21. So I like the Cowboys in this game. They're currently three point favorites. They probably cover and they for sure walk out of LA with the win and spoil the Rams new game or their game in their brand new stadium.
1: Yeah, that stadium is beautiful before we close out. Um, Let's have a little bit of fun. Let's do some predictions, expectations for the season, and at the very end, we're gonna go ahead and announce the winner of our jersey giveaway. Jersey giveaway. So for the prediction for this season, who do you team? Who do you think leads the team in uh, passing yards and and touchdowns?
0: Oh, we're going. So I. The question is, Garoppolo. How many passing yards and how many touchdowns is he gonna throw? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, or do you think Nick Mullins? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, just messing with you, man.
0: <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, that's fair given Garoppolo's 2018 concerns. You know, no one – We hopefully we don't have to see Nick Mullins this year.
1: COVID, but, you never know. That's, I'm just messing I mean, around. Yeah, you never know. No,
0: but you That's a great point. You never know. And that's why C.J. Beathard is on the roster still because of COVID because I've, we're all in agreement that he, on a normal year, probably would have gotten cut. So, Garoppolo, I have Garoppolo throwing for 4,000 yards and 33 touchdowns. How about yourself?
1: I, I'm actually really similar stats, but I have him throwing for actually 4,200 for in that range. I mean, I have him throwing for also 33, but I think he, depending on if IU and Debo are fully healthy week one, it's going to alter his stats. If he has Iuke all season and Debo all season, He'll hit 34, 35 touchdowns.
0: Agreed. Rushing yards, who do you got?
1: I got um, Raheem Mostert rushing for the most yards on the team. With how many? Ooh. I think he breaks 1,000 yards if he's the lead back and stays healthy. And I think we're going to have an elite offense, and our offense is going to be the best offense because Kyle Shanahan is pissed off. So I think he rushes for... 1,050. I have
0: Mostert as well, but I have him putting up 1,200 rushing yards this year. Receptions and receiving yards. First, let's start off with receptions. Who do you got?
1: Um, Receptions, I got got George Kittle. I mean, I I don't see anyone else taking all those catches. That's um, Jimmy's go-to guy. Um, Kittle has to get the most reception on the team, I think.
0: I'm in agreement with you. To make things a little more interesting, I'm going to go on record with this. And behind George Kittle coming in second, I'm going to say Jarek McKinnon finishes the year with the second most receptions. I think McKinnon's going to have a solid first year healthy with the 49ers in that third down scat back role. So just to have some fun, I'm going to toss McKinnon's name in there as who I feel like will have the second most catches behind Kittle. And I'm also going with Kittle for who's going to have the most receiving yards. I have him down for the same number as Mostert's rushing yards with 1,200. Who do you got for receiving yards?
1: Receiving yards, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Jimmy's Garoppolo favorite target in training camp was Brandon Ayoub. Um Jimmy Garoppolo came out, and he actually praised him. He's like, that's my security blanket. I missed having him out here during camp. That's my guy. I think he's the first... 49ers rookie receiver to go over a 1,000 yards, and he has 1,100 yards receiving as a rookie. That's bold. Brandon Iuke, that's if your he, guy he, right there, he has Marco. To, he has to be healthy offseason, though. I mean, if week one, if he's a full go, he's definitely hitting it.
0: I like it. I like it. Now let's take a look at receptions, or I'm sorry, rushing, receiving, and total touchdowns. So starting with rushing, who do you think has the most touchdowns?
1: With with I had I went um rushing Ernest Mostert, so I have to go with Mostert again on touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I do think he has a lot of them. But don't miss out on uh Jeff Wilson Jr. at the goal line. He might take some of those away. So it could be close for the rushing touchdowns.
0: I think the team will use Tevin Coleman in goal line situations. I think Wilson's role as a Goal line back is a little overblown, so I'm going to disagree there. But I also do have Mostert scoring eight touchdowns this year, similar to the number he put up last year. I believe he might have had eight during the regular season, rushing-wise last year. Receiving before you get to your receiving touchdown leader, I'll go ahead and drop mine. I got Kendrick Bourne leading the wide receivers in touchdowns back-to-back years. I have him down with seven. So we had six last year, including the playoffs. I have him down for seven this year. Who do you got receiving?
1: touchdowns um the best tight end in the nfl george kittle he had too many reception touchdowns called back last year and i think if he gets those back he's going to be leading the team in in touchdowns i think kyle shanning figured out a way to get him the ball in the red zone
0: total touchdowns do you want to take a jab at the total touchdowns
1: for total touchdowns so in, taking gen- into- in general like receiving like- touchdowns
0: Yeah, combining receiving and rushing.
1: uh, Receiving and rushing, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Raheem Mostert. I think he picked up a couple of receiving touchdowns um, just because Kyle likes to run the little screen passes, and you have to keep defenses off off balance by having Mostert run those a little bit. So I do think he he leaves the team in total touchdowns.
0: I'm in agreement with you. Mostert will have the most touchdowns on the team over the course of the 2020 season. Let's get into some defense. Tackles. Who's leading the team in tackles?
1: This is honestly this is my favorite player on the 49ers roster, Fred Warner. He's gonna lead the team in tackles. He is the, the captain. He flies around. He finally in his third year, I believe. So he's third year. He's, he's gonna be lights out this year. He's gonna put his name as a linebacker one in the NFL. I agree. Fred
0: Warner, fun fact, has never Missed a game in his NFL career. Has played in 35 out of 35 possible regular and postseason games. There was a little bit of a scare at that streak my end because of COVID. Now it looks like he's going to be a go for Sunday. And Fred Warner is going to lead the team in tackles. And it will be for the third consecutive year. So I'm in full-on agreement with you that number 54, team captain, soon to be All-Pro Pro Bowl linebacker Fred Warner will lead the team in tackles. Who do you got for sacks?
1: Sacks? I'm going to go Bosa. I mean, if we're going to be talking about Bosa being a defensive player of the year, he has to take that, that extra step and um, get those extra sacks. He talked about before uh, in the media press conferences that he's worked on this year a few more moves. He's worked on a spin move. He's worked on how to finish the sack because last year he got there but he didn't finish. So I think that was an emphasis during his training um, on how to get to the quarterback and finish the sacks. So I think he finishes with 12 sacks this year.
0: I'm going to go D Ford. Oh, whoa! he is both. He is Bosa's sidekick. I know Nick Bosa gets a lot more praise. A lot more recognition is more beloved in the 49ers fan base. But I think D Ford, as long as he can play in 13 games this year, If I'll give him a three game cushion, as long as he plays in three games, I believe he'll be the sack leader. A lot of focus is gonna come in the direction of Nick Bosa and you can even make the argument now that teams might be focusing on stopping Eric Armstead more so than D Ford. Whereas going into last year, Ford was more of a priority to stop than Armstead. So Ford might slip through the cracks a little bit, not be focused on so much from opposing offensive lines, and I believe he will lead the team. And sacks getting close to 11, 12, 13, maybe. Getting close to averaging about a sack per game. Breakout player, who do you got breaking out this year?
1: So I've been a fan of his since since college. Um, He's been ripped by the fan base. But this season, I want to talk about this player because in the media, we've had a few people talk about mental health and how players shouldn't speak up on it. Dak Prescott just came out and Solomon Thomas, who my breakout player has talked about, I think is important. I think Solomon Thomas was out of playing out of position. His um, loss of his sister all had a lot of, of effects on him and wasn't able to be the player he was. So I think Solomon Thomas has a breakout season, and I think fans will be impressed with his play inside where he finally belongs. And on top of that, since I'm talking about Solomon Thomas and about mental health, um, reach out if you have any problems or mentally or you need help. Reach out. There's so many people that are out there willing to help. As Solomon Thomas has said, Dak Prescott has said, um, us from the Faithful Fanatics, uh, me and Nick. If you need someone to talk to, I'm 100 sure you're. Will- I'm able to be reached on social media on at my Twitter account. You could message the Faithful Fanatic podcast account. Um, I'll reply. I'm sure Nick will reply. We're here for you guys. Reach out.
0: Absolutely. Just to piggyback off of that, often in sports, it's very easy to forget the human element. And I wrote a piece on Dante Pettis a couple months back. It was titled, Can Catman Escape the Doghouse? A Dante Pettis Theory. And just kind of what I talk about is how the human element is often completely forgotten because people mistake football players as robots, that they're just supposed to eat, play football and sleep. That's all that they're supposed to do. And it's so important to take care of yourself. Speak up if you're going through anything as challenging as it might be, and just always know that there's way more support. You have a greater support system than you may be feeling. And like Marco said, our direct messages, our emails are always open. They're accessible through our twitters at ninernick underscore two two. Marco underscore Martinez nine nine two two. Correct,
1: Marco? No, no, my my Twitter handles. Marco underscore Mark 1205.
0: No, that's right. 1205. Sorry about that. But bottom line is that we're here. We take mental health very seriously. And if you're ever feeling the need to talk about anything that's going on, doesn't matter if you're a Niners fan, Raiders fan, Chiefs fan, we're here for you because we want the best for everybody, regardless of where your stance is as far as your NFL fandom. Back to my breakout player, someone I have breaking out this year is Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne really established himself as a solid number three receiver last year. And I believe he's going to have even more opportunities this year. And I expect him to meet those extra opportunities with production. That's what I expect from Kendrick Bourne. If you look at what he's done over the course of his NFL career, he's always been an underdog came in as an undrafted free agent, made the 53-man roster. And since then, I believe he's pretty much the only wide receiver since 2018 to play in all 32 regular season games. He's very dependable, very reliable, always healthy. I think he's going to have a monster year where he puts up – I shouldn't say monster, but he'll make a significant jump this year. Well, He'll have 65 catches for about 800 yards and seven touchdowns.
1: That's a monster I season for a number three receiver. For well, well, he's not
0: a number three right now. I know Ayuk can certainly step right in and be a starting receiver, but he's the starting receiver right now. He might be the number three weapon behind Kittle and behind Debo and potentially Ayuk later on. So, yeah, as a number three receiver, that's a pretty high number, but I think just knowing Kendrick Bourne, how hard he's been working – in the offseason, it's definitely an achievable number.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. I really like Kendrick Bourne as well. So, what do you expect from the season? Like, what's what's your record prediction and end result prediction?
0: Record prediction 12 and 4. I don't think that 12 and 4 number is going to be enough to win the NFC. So, I have them finishing as the number two seed, winning the division. That number one seed will likely go to a team like the Saints or the Packers. The thing that you have to remember is that the NFC West is one of the toughest divisions in football, if not the toughest division in football. So that's why, although on paper, the Niners are a better team, they just are going to have tougher matchups. So I think that they finished with the second seed going into the playoffs they take care of their business, get back to the Super Bowl, play the Chiefs, and they win that game. This is absolutely a Super Bowl or bust year for the 49ers. Going back to the Faithful of the Bay hype video that Keena Turner proudly voices over, he talks about how this is championship territory, and he is 100% correct. That is the standard of San Francisco 49er football, is that you win championships. but. It's been 25 years. The 49ers have not even won a Super Bowl during my lifetime. To put emotions on the table, I'm sick of either seeing teams that are completely horrific and abysmal, like the Dennis Erickson, Mike Nolan 49ers, or just seasons that end in heartbreak, like we've experienced with Jim Harbaugh, with the Lawrence Tyne game-winning field goal against the Giants at home in the NFC Championship game, where Kyle Williams had those two botches on special teams. The Ravens heartbreak, where the three end zone fades to Michael Crabtree, not giving the ball to Frank Gore at the goal line, to blowing a 10-point lead against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. This is the Super Bowl or bust year. On paper, we know this is a Super Bowl-caliber team. We don't know what the future holds right now. This is a team that needs to win the Super Bowl for the first time in 25 years. It absolutely needs to happen. That is the expectation. So as you follow along to this podcast, throughout and including my SI writing, keep in mind I'm looking at this team through the lens of the expectation is to win the Super Bowl. It is a Super Bowl or bust year. That's the expectation. That's what needs to happen.
1: I I agree. I absolutely agree. My my record prediction. I'm I'm in between the twelve and four to fourteen and two um, record. I don't really see, if we're the team from last year that I think we are, I don't see any team really beating us. I mean, I have Seattle. We're going to split one with Seattle because Russell Wilson. Um, I don't see the Rams beating us. I think we sweep the Rams, and I do think we sweep the Cardinals again. So that other loss that I see us losing to could be the Saints. It could be the Cowboys. I mean, those are the two teams that I think could potentially beat us. So I'm going to go 14-2 with the number one seed. And I think they're back in the Super Bowl. And I think they they win it this time. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has to just keep his foot on the gas pedal. And the the reason why I do think he keeps his foot on the gas pedal this time is because he asked Raheem Mostert, Raheem, how is this team feeling right now? And Raheem had the response is, you know what, coach? You keep calling the plays and we're good. Don't worry about anything. Call the plays. So for me, that's giving... Kyle Shanahan, the confident, like, hey, we believe in you as long as you do you. Call the offense and have us be as explosive as possible, and we will get back and win a Super Bowl, coach. Let's get it done.
0: I agree, and I love the mentality of Kyle Shanahan that he knows that this team is ready to get right back to the Super Bowl, and that's the expectation that he put out there. I believe, was it Mike Florio that started bashing Shanahan, saying that he put unrealistic expectations on the team? I believe it was Florio. And it's like, come on. This team was in the Super Bowl eight months ago, seven months ago, whatever it was. They are more than capable of getting right back there. And Kyle Shanahan has every right to put that sort of pressure on his team. And the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo, the run game. The past, the de- I mean, excuse me, the defense. They need to rise up and meet that challenge, overcome that pressure, and win the sixth Lombardi Trophy in franchise history. That's where I'm at as far as this upcoming season goes.
1: One for the thumb.
0: One for the thumb, baby. That's that's a good slogan right there. I feel like the quest for six is becoming, in it's just been a quest for so long that they got to come up with a new slogan i was there at candlestick when they gave out the quest for six rally towels maybe we got to come up with something new one for the thumb yeah i mean we already have one hand
1: filled up i would like to see the next next hand start with the thumb and go all the way across to the pinky you know what
0: so you got you guys heard it here first the faithful fanatic podcast has already copyrighted one for the thumb we have full rights over it you marco came (laughs) up with it first there will be lawsuits coming if anybody tries to take one for the... Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a good one. One for the thumb. That's going to be our slogan, the faithful fanatic slogan throughout the regular season because that's the goal, getting that sixth ring for the thumb.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, to go ahead and close it out, I would like to uh, go ahead and announce the winner of our jersey giveaway for our five days of giveaways. Um, The winner for the... Jersey of your choice is at Jumroll baby at Vasquez Betsy. Betsy Vasquez, you have won the jersey giveaway. Go ahead and send us a direct message, or we'll get in contact with you and send you a direct message once you hear this. And you can go ahead and claim your award.
0: Once again, our first or our grand prize winner, our first grand prize winner, as we might have more giveaways down the road is Betsy Vasquez. Thank you so much for tuning in to the inaugural episode of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast. I'm Nick Newman. Twitter and at NinerNick underscore two, 2.
1: And I'm Marco Martinez. Twitter handle is at Marco underscore Mark 1205 Give us both a follow and don't forget to follow our Faithful Fanatic pod account, which is go ahead Nick. Faithful Fanatic
0: Pod underscore. Are you sure it's that? Say it again yes. one more
1: time so they hear it.
0: Our Twitter, one more time, because Marco's got me second-guessing myself here. I'm correct. It is Faithful Fan Pod underscore. Faithful Fan Pod Underscore that is our Twitter handle. Is that what I said the first time? I don't even remember.
1: Now you said fanatic, but everyone knew what you mean. But I wanted you to say, you know what? Let
0: me let me explain this because Faithful Fanatic Pod, very specifically, Twitter is very specific about their handle requirements, it has to be under 14 or 15 characters. So we couldn't get that Faithful Fan Pod handle or the Faithful Fanatic. And you know what? What bothers me even more is that there's a Twitter user with the at handle Faithful Fanatic that's been inactive since 2010. Like at some point, you got to hand over the rights to your handle to a good cause like the Faithful Fanatic podcast. Thank you again so much for tuning into our first episode. We'll have another episode ready to go Monday morning. Nick and Marco are out.